and thank you very much for tuning in to Code with Kingy's second round preview of Super Rugby Aotearoa, where this time round I'm joined by my dad. Now we do kickstart the show with a bit of a recap of what happened in the first round, particularly sort of highlighting the new interpretations or strictness around the breakdown, before then touching on some of the talking points going into this weekend's clashes between the Chiefs and the Blues on Saturday and the Hurricanes and Crusaders on Sunday. I'd also like to give you guys a bit of a heads up that I do record these shows on a Wednesday night, so I have no idea as to what the the team lineups are looking like going into the weekend. So, yeah, anyway, uh, I won't waffle on any longer, and I'll let you guys dive straight into what me and the old fella talked about last night. Enjoy. Uh, Well, why don't we just jump straight into it, man? Uh, Two games of rugby on the weekend as part of the first round of Super Rugby Aotearoa. And one close game. I mean, the the second game was relatively close, but I guess the difference in the end was the the goal kicking, or the I guess the the option to take the points. But I've already sort of spilled my piece as part of my preview, or not preview, sorry, as part of my recap from from last week. Uh, so, what were your thoughts on the first round of Super Rugby Aotearoa? I think the quality between the two games was different. So I thought the quality of the game between the Blues and the Hurricanes was of a higher quality than the one between the Chiefs and the Highlanders. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And I guess the biggest talking point out of the the weekend was the penalty count. Uh, in the first game, there were 28 penalties, and then in the second game, there were 30. And I haven't gone back and uh, actually checked the stats of what the penalty count was like during the... Uh, I guess the pre-COVID Super Rugby season, but I guess from you know what we saw on in both games, just by the amount of whistle that was blown, I'd, you'd like to think that there were more penalties as part of the, the first round because they are, I guess, being a lot harsher at the breakdown uh, in terms of uh, tacklers not rolling away, guys entering through the side. Uh, you know, the players now aren't allowed to sort of have any movements on the ground. They sort of got to, once they hit the deck, they have to sort of place the strip the ball straight back so I mean I mean what's that like for you because I know that you've you've been around rugby a while and you've seen um, a bunch of different rule changes but did you like what you saw on the weekend do you think it it's going to make the game better uh, you know considering the the reasoning as to why they implemented the new laws or the the strictness yeah well I've got a quite a reliable source um that sort of has I guess clarified um the rules um, as they've been played now, and they've been interpreted literally. So instead of interpretations um, previously from the refs at their discretion, the refs have been instructed to apply the rules literally, and that's why you were seeing so many penalties. So instead of like the refs sort of saying, oh yeah, I can sort of see what he was trying to do, if guys aren't actually playing to the letter of the law, they were getting pinged. And my source was telling me that this is exactly actually what the coaches wanted and how they wanted things ref. So so any complaints that might have come from the coaches after the games, 
Um, they've actually only got themselves to blame because they were asking the refs to ref the games like that. And so therefore that was, I guess, what was produced on the day of the games. So they would really have to fall back on the coaches and on the players. Interesting. So uh, I might need to tap into your source. I mean, we'll, we'll keep them as name source, but good to know I've got a, a contact potentially. But uh, one of the other big takeaways from the weekend, uh, and Warren Gatling came out and said it, was that these, I guess, the law or the way that the referees uh, are refing games now uh, was to speed up the game and keep the ball in play a lot more rather than, you know, having sort of slow right ball and guys sort of delaying their rollouts or, you know, cleaning out from the sides and having teams sort of slow the game down. But what we actually ended up seeing quite a bit was, well, there was a lot of box kicking in the Hurricanes and Blues game. And, I mean, there was a fair amount of kicking in the Highlanders and Chiefs game. But I guess, having discussed it with Matt as well, who was on the podcast on the weekend and last week, was that field position is going to be a really big key, I guess, for these games going forward. And I guess the difference in the end with the, the Blues and the, and the Hurricanes game was that, I mean, the Hurricanes, I mean, their, their line-out was, was shoddy all day, but the the Blues just made the most of getting into the Hurricanes' half and sort of kicking their goals, whereas the Hurricanes really sort of struggled to get that field position. But do you think that teams are going to continue to be sort of reluctant running the ball out of their own half because, you know, they're scared of giving away penalties? Not necessarily, because I think there's a lot of kicking now anyway. Um, if you look at how much box kicking there is now, it's sort of it's become quite predictable now so you sort of see as soon as there's a little bit of slow down ball what they do straight away is they'll just go straight to the box kick so i think we're kicking a lot already in, in the modern game that uh, it's being played by the new zealand teams what i think could potentially happen is that because there's gonna there's been a lot of emphasis on the attacking well the team with the ball to actually play it immediately in the tackle, I think what you might find is that attacking teams or attacking players will probably surrender a bit more easily at the contact. And what that'll do is just make sure that they've actually got their support players like right up their backside so that they're not isolated, so therefore they're more likely to secure the ball. Um, and I think also what you might find with uh, the defending teams is that I think what they'll do is they'll make more of an effort to stay on their feet for probably two reasons. One is maybe they will maybe try and get that uh, scrum turnover. So if they're able to hold guys up in the tackle, then they'll get the turnover. So to get the feed into the scrum, or what they'll be able to do is if they're able to stay on their feet, they'll be able, they'll be able to compete at the breakdown, as opposed to commit themselves to a tackle where they end up going to ground. Because if you notice in those games on the weekend, even though guys were attempting to try and get out of the way of the ruck ball and that, they were, guys were getting penalised. So I think if guys are able to stay on their feet as opposed to getting off their feet being the tackler, I think what you might find is that it will enable them to attack that ball, but also not get trapped and get penalised, which is what the refs were doing on the weekend. Yeah, it's an interesting one because we had a referee come in and help out with our club rugby session last night and he was saying that, yeah, the referees are pretty much pinging guys. You, you sort of have to roll left to right or east to west. You're not allowed to roll north to yeah. south anymore. Yeah, that's correct. Of course, you know, there was always going to be a bit of rust. You know, it doesn't matter how hard you train or how much of an emphasis you put on it. You know, guys always sort of fall back to the old ways once fatigue kicks in during a game. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of learnings teams have taken out from that previous week's experience and whether or not like a the Crusaders who are typically, you know, the 
I guess the team who's has the top two inches, um, whether or not you know we'll see them pinged as much as we did the the other four Kiwi teams. But we'll jump into the the first game that comes up this weekend, which is the Chiefs taking on the Blues. And my first talking point off the back of their game on the weekend was just the fact that they sort of looked a bit directionless in attack. They had two yellow card advantages, one right before half time and one towards the end of the game, and they only managed the one try and that being Antoinette Browns towards the end, which sort of put them to within striking distance. And, of course, McKenzie kicked the, the drop goal, but then, you know, the Sunbrun Gatland, you know, replied, and the, obviously the, the Hollanders got over the hurdle in the end. But what do you think the Chiefs need to sort of do now? Is it just a, a matter of getting Cruden in there, or was there something else that you saw? I think when you saw the first game of the year, when the I think it was the Blues against the Chiefs at Eden Park, and you just saw when Aaron Cruden came on at the beginning of the second half just how much of a difference he made. So I think people shouldn't underestimate the influence he has on that team because he showed it straight away in that first game of the season. And my take was the reason why he got benched, I got a feeling that maybe the Chiefs thought that might be a game that might be a bit easier than playing the other New Zealand size, and so therefore they could maybe try the young boy. Uh, is it Trask? Is yeah, his name? Yeah, Caleb Trask. Maybe yeah. give him a maybe give him a go against a team that hadn't been performing so well, and I think in a funny sort of way that might have backfired. And though when they brought it on into the second half, sort of the damage was sort of already done. Even though the Chiefs sort of managed to get themselves in into the game, but I think a lot of damage was done in that first half. I don't think that Trask necessarily played bad. It was more so no, they, no, just, they, no. they just didn't utilise, again, that the fact that the fullback went to the bin before half time. I thought that would sort of open up the game for the Chiefs. But I think they sort of put themselves behind the eight ball with obviously conceding those tries in the first half. I yeah. think it was more almost like a punch in the face that they weren't expecting. They're like, oh shit, like this team's actually up for it. Whereas I don't think they necessarily entered the game sort of slow, although I did mention it last week that they had made a habit of starting games slow and unfortunately they sort of ran out of time in the end or they maybe left a little bit too much time on the clock after McKenzie took his drop goal. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, well, you'd assume that Cruden's going to go into that 10 jersey off the back of what happened last week. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I think if you looked at that game and if you sort of looked at the games before the lockdown... I don't think the Highlanders could have played any worse than they had been playing. So I think anything after that lockdown was going to be an improvement. And they talked about how much more fitter they are now. So that's probably helped. Mm -hmm. But I think also they had a point to prove and, and having the home crowd behind them, I think they were always going to be up for that game. And I think they took the Chiefs a little bit by surprise. That's what it sort of looked like. But then the Chiefs slowly worked their way back into it and nearly pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Aaron Smith played exceptionally well. The young lock, Putty Putty Parkinson, fronted up. Uh, I think I think it, it did help because I know that Parkinson was out, I think, for the, for the first couple of games. And, you know, just having that extra bit of size in your four pack really does make a bit of a difference uh, around the contact area. And I guess for me, like I predicted they weren't going to win a game 
just off the back of their forwards. I mean, their backs are right, and you've got a, a world class nine in Aaron, and you saw what you know what he can do when he gets sort of front foot ball, and he's you know not on the back foot. But but yeah, but my my second point though, um, and we'll we'll go to the Blues this time, was that uh, they looked pretty good defensively, which isn't um, a word you sort of typically associate with the Blues or. Well, obviously they were they were on the up towards the the back end of pre-COVID super, but even on the weekend the Hurricanes really struggled to um, just get over the game line. After I mean they looked all right in the first thirty minutes, but I think the Blues sort of figured out their attack, and the Hurricanes just failed to adapt. But I don't want to sort of put that all on the Hurricanes not being as creative. You know, I did think that the Blues defended well, but do you think that they'll have the same sort of luck against the Chiefs this weekend? One of the other big things. To take away, as I mentioned, was the the shoddy line-out work. So the Hurricanes really had no set piece to work off. But what are your sort of expectations with the Blues? And do you think they're the real deal after what you saw on Sunday afternoon? I think this weekend will be the test because it's about backing it up. And so they'll be playing. Because I think they were really up for the game last week because it was at home in front of 40,000 people. And also I think the psychological edge of actually having... Bowden Barrett at the back, you know, so I think they just sort of, it was a combination of things. I think they went in there, uh, G'd up and full of confidence. Um, but I think the Chiefs will be, and also, yeah, the Hurricane side, they were probably lacking a really key player in Geordie Barrett. I think yep. he would have made a difference being there. Yep. But I think the test will be this weekend, one, they're going to be, be playing the Chiefs at home, who are going to be quite desperate, I think what they'll do is they'll definitely bring Cruden back to start. And I think Sam Kane will be available. So I think having the captain available, that'll help. And I think also getting Luke Jacobson back in there will just add a bit of steel to the loose forwards. So I'm expecting more from the Chiefs. Uh, I'm not saying that they will win, but I think they'll be a bigger test than the Hurricanes. Just... Um, having that game under their belt from last week. So do you think Sam Kane goes to eight? How, how are they going to fit that rotation in? Because they had Peter Gus Sawakula starting at eight, and he's been their primary eight. But, you you know, are they going to go for Jacobson, Kane, or do you reckon they'll bring him in off the bench? Because uh, they, well, they got Jacobson at blindside, and then you got Bo Shearer at, at open side. So do you push Sam to eight, or do you sort of throw him into the game with sort of half an hour to go? No, I would start him. But yeah, so you starting him at eight though? I start him at seven. So then, who goes to eight? Uh, I think you. I think I. I. I don't. For me, I don't think it really matters too much. So it's more just like a jersey number on the back rather than how they play. Yeah, I. I just think you know Sam Kane's your All Black open side and is your Black captain, so he should be your seven and basically sort out the other two positions between two between. Three players, one of them goes on the bench, but I just, I just don't think you can underestimate the influence that Sam Kane will have. True, true, true. Now, sort of bouncing off that whole Aaron Cruden idea again, he's got Damian McKenzie at the back, and they sort of use that dual pivot. I would have liked to have seen a bit more McKenzie at first receiver, especially in that first half when things weren't sort of going their way. But again, you know, when you get caught up in, in the game and things aren't going your way, it can sort of be hard to sort of maybe not overextend your hand. Um, and, and like you said, the game certainly changed when, when Cruden came on, but they're going up against another sort of dual pivot system in Autity Black and Bowden Barrett. And for as much 
pressure as Bowden Barrett probably had on him going into the game. I mean, we saw all the all the hype as part of sort of the the pre-game sort of video that sort of built up into the game. But Altidy Black had a lot of weight on his shoulders as well because I think once the the signing of Bowden Barrett was announced, it was almost like inevitable and I, and I still think that's going to be the case I still think Bowden's going to somehow sort of find his way into that 10 jersey I think that's his preferred position but Ortidy Black played really really well in terms of just nailing his role and especially with the goal kicking he did a really good job and so we're going to see two dual pivots go up against each other this weekend and so I guess the question I'm posing to you is how much of an influence are they going to have in their team's performance on Saturday and who do you think wins that matchup? Depending like if we go back to Ortiz Black, yeah, he kicked really well and he did what he was supposed to. But if you think about the way, uh, especially how his uh, forwards performed, he had yeah. front football. True. So it would, would have been really hard for him not to play well. And I think I think the fact that he kicked so well that just added to his confidence. I think what's going to be the real test this weekend is that this will this will be my guess. If the Blues start to struggle against the Chiefs in the first half, I think what you'll see is Barrett go to 10 a lot sooner. But that's going to be, it's going to be dependent on how the Blues go in the first 40, because if they're under the pump, I think then that's when you're basically calling the cavalry, and that's when I think Barrett will come into his own, because if you watch, everyone was waiting for Barrett to go to first five in the second half. They thought, when's going to come? But the fact that the team was doing so well, they thought, well, we'll leave Ortelli Black there. And, and you notice the longer he stayed, the, 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 you know, the better his confidence got. He actually got more and more confident. So the fact that they started with him, that gave him a boost of confidence. The fact that he was being supported well by his forward pack, that gave him even more confidence. So as the game went further and further along, he got better and better. So I think they'll do exactly the same thing this week. But the test is going to be, again, whether that forward pack of the Blues can be as dominant again. Because if they're not, if they start to struggle, I think that's going to be the real test of Black. And if that becomes a bit of an issue, they know they've already got their trump card in, into uh, Barrett coming into the game. So that's my take on it. So do you think then... Say they do go under the pump, do they just switch up Black for Duffy and Duffy goes straight to the back? Because, but I mean, like even on that though, like as a coach or even as a player, like I guess because he I mean he's a, he's had a pretty good run of form. Obviously, he was building a lot from COVID or pre-COVID, and then he comes out and he has a really good game on the weekend. I mean, like of course it's easier when when your team's going forward, but you know you still have to play well. You can still screw up when your team's going forward. But mm-hmm. do you think that it would almost be detrimental? To pull him, you know, if things aren't going the way the Blues want them in the in the first 40 minutes, are you just going to throw away, you know, what he's sort of been building on the past sort of four or five games just to get Bowden in there because there, there's almost like this pressure to sort of fill him into that spot? I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I can I can certainly see where you're coming from, but I'm not sure if I like Bowden Barrett at first five and having Matt Duffy at fullback more than the system they're running at the moment. I just think Barrett's the insurance policy. That's all. I mean, whatever they decide to do, that that's up to them. But they, I wonder whether there's been the word from up above to basically say, well, maybe we're seeing Barrett as a fullback this year, so play him at 15. And then yeah. if he needs to go into 10, 
he goes from ten. I don't know. I don't, that's just speculation. I mean, the the word could be coming from you know above that maybe his future is at fifteen. Who knows? Who knows? Or but what we do know is he can play ten and he can play it pretty well. And he, you know, it's like it's good to have that insurance policy. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But we all know that it's like he can he can break games up. He can win games with his his brilliance. And so if he's closer to the action, which number ten is then why would you not use that? You know, it's like cutting off your nose to spot your face. So if it's a close game or if the team's struggling a bit, it's like why would you not put your your best attacking player as close to the action as possible? And that's not that's not a damning of Otteri Black. They just have two different skill sets. And if you look at it, probably Otteri Black's a better goal kicker. So you probably lose a little bit in goal kicking because Barrett's goal kicking, as we all know, um there's a little bit of exactly so it's just like you're sort of swapping one for the other yeah you're giving up you know reliable goal kicking but then you've just got that guy that goes like well you know we're struggling a bit we we need that bit of magic and that's what barrett offers yeah totally all right well with all that being said though who are you tipping to win this weekend i think this is going to be closer than people think i think a lot of people will say oh the blues easily but I'm going to go for the Chiefs. 12 and under? Yep. I think what you might find, especially because the Chiefs are going to be at home, uh, I think perhaps, and because they didn't play that well last week, I've got a feeling there's a, a little bit of that. They need to make up for the performance last week, and the home crowd might just get them home. Yeah, I think that's one thing I probably underestimated was the influence that a crowd can have. But I'm back in the blues again. I just think that their forwards are on a roll. I mean, Hoskins, the 2-2, was another standout on Saturday. He got their man of the match. And I don't know, him, Patrick Tuipolotu, seems like he's sort of taken his game up a notch. Even Ofatunga Fassi, as much as he is sort of a walking penalty from time to time, he fronted up and he was he was really big on defence, actually putting a lot of shots. And I think if they get guys like Big Carl Tuanukuafi back in, Tom Robinson was a pest at line-out time if he can continue doing that. Uh, I just think, yeah, the... The Blues forward pack are sort of finding their rhythm and they're big. So I'm going to pick them 12 and under. Again, I, I like you, I think it'll be a close game, but I, I, I like the look of what I saw last week. I mean, they probably could have scored a few more tries, but hey, it was the first week. We're on to the second game, which is the Hurricanes taking on the Crusaders at home. Obviously, the Hurricanes are looking for a bounce back win and the Crusaders had their first game uh, as part of the new competition. And... Like I touched on, the Hurricanes lacked a lot of creativity in attack. Um, there was a lot of one-off running. I mean, the first 30 minutes, they were right. They sort of uh, a couple of good tries. But do you think that the Hurricanes are going to struggle again to get front football? I think uh, one of the, the highlights, and I was reading um, Hamish Bidwell's piece about Bowden Barrett and about how he's obviously already seen the difference that a, a decent type five can have. And I... I do think the the Hurricanes have obviously got a lot better than what they're used to. I think their scrums showed up a lot. But they are an undersized pack when you think about guys like Duplessis, Karifi, James Blackwell, Gareth Evans. They're not your biggest guys going around in their positions. And even in the front row, guys like Tyrell and Fraser Armstrong, they aren't all that dynamic. Um, It might be a bit different this week if we see maybe a Suffle start and maybe having Isaiah Walker-Lewitty come into the starting jersey, just adding another big body. I guess, how do the Canes rectify 
some of the wrongs they had on attack going into this weekend, or do you think it'll be a, the case of the sort of the same old, same old with the players they have at their disposal and maybe 75% Artie and possibly no Geordie? I think they definitely miss Barrett because I think he's really come into his own since his brother's gone north. I think now he's sort of taken on the mantle, okay, you know, this is my team now. And it sort of it showed in the games before the lockdown, he was he was on fire, I thought. Um, if you remember that, that last-minute kick he got to beat, mm-hmm. was it the Chiefs? Yep, yep. Chiefs and Hamilton? You know, those are the sort of things he can do, and hopefully he'll be back this week for the Canes. Um, but I'm actually going to throw a bit of a curveball out there. And you'd probably um, remember this, obviously, but if you, because if, if you remember, probably over the last four or five years, the Hurricanes attack has actually pretty much revolved around Bowden Barrett, if we're, if we're being completely honest. If you, if you look at how much of a struggle it has always been for the Hurricanes forward pack, I guess they've sort of battled above their weight um, just to sort of get parity. And so that was always enough for Barrett. So as long as, you know, his forwards were able to get parity, he was able to weave his magic. And they don't have that now. And let's be completely honest, as reliable a goal kicker as uh, Jackson Garden Bishop um, usually is, he's usually quite a reliable goal kicker, he doesn't really add that spark on attack that the Hurricanes have been used to for such a long time with Bowden Barrett. So my curveball would be, and um, be interested to see what your take is on that, I would throw young Tia Tia at number 10. Well, I've, I've obviously um, have a bit of a history with Chase having watched him at school. And, exactly. And, exactly. He came, and he he came out of school as a 10 as well. That's right. And he sort of got pushed into the outside backs. I don't know why. Maybe it was his preference. I know he likes to get his hands on the ball and he's he's got the toe to play in the outsides. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I've mentioned this, well, I mentioned it in my last podcast actually about, you know, sort of giving these first fives that they've got um, as part of their group, whether that be Fletcher or or Jackson, because if we sort of have this expectation that they sort of, you know, at least get to 80% of what Bowdoin Barrett is, you know, I think even then those expectations are too high. And I think that the Hurricanes aren't going to be able to play the way that they're used to being playing. And, that, and that's no slight on chase, but, you know, I just think that there needs to be a makeshift, if that's the word I'm sort of looking for, you know, some sort of change in their attack. And I did think that they were actually playing a lot more of Perinara. And like you mentioned with Geordie, he actually came into first receiver quite a lot and took a lot of the responsibility off Fletcher or off Jackson, depending on who was playing. So, yeah, I think that if, if Geordie does play, we might see a bit of a difference there. But no, I'm not necessarily going to agree with you on that. And then the other thing you've got to throw in is experience. And I think we saw firsthand with what happened with someone like Josh Iwani when he was thrown into 12. And although he's probably got the skill set and he's got the bravery to play in the midfield, it just didn't work because he just didn't have the experience. And I think throwing him out there, Chase, I mean, that's that. not only is that going to, you know, obviously knock the confidence of the two tens that you've got in your stable, but then you also run the risk of lowering Chase's confidence by throwing him into, I guess, the deep end. And out of all the positions at the first class level, 10 is the deepest end, so... Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that because if you if you look when he first started playing for the Hurricanes last year, for a guy who'd never really played Super Rugby before, he was super confident on fire, and now that he's in his second season. I I reckon if you chuck him in there, I don't think it would. I don't think it would bother him. 
I think he's just that sort of guy. I think he he would just play his own natural game. No, that's true. And that's, that, that's totally and, true. And I, you know, and that that that's that's just one take it because you said they were lacking a bit of creativity, and I just think that's what he brings is creativity. Um, and you know, and I remember watching him at school, and I was just like, I watched this kid, and I thought, man, this guy's good. You know, like he's, and it's not even like, like when he decided to go, and and I know it was only schoolboy level, but. In a lot of ways, even though he played off the cuff, he actually made good decisions. That was the thing I liked about it. Whereas, and I think also playing at 10, I think he would probably also be, I guess, a bit more measured. And what's really interesting, it's, 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 it's funny we should be talking about him now because the source of mine, who has a lot to do with uh, coaching within the New Zealand Rugby Union. Um, he did a session with some of the Hurricanes guys a, a little while back, and he told me, funnily enough, that Tia Tia has actually got a really good rugby brain on him. And he said he was sort of quite taken aback by that, considering the way he plays the game. So that was actually really interesting to hear. He's actually quite a considered player, even though it looks like he plays off the cuff. He's actually quite a thinker of the game. It just doesn't look like that because of the way he plays. And I found that really, really interesting. So hearing that actually gives me actually gives me more confidence to sort of think, I reckon he could handle that role pretty well. No, but again, like I love Chase as a player and he's played 10 before and, it's funny that you mentioned that he doesn't play flustered. Like I was mentioning to one of my mates that he's almost the sort of dude that if he got picked for the All Blacks at random, or you know he sort of earned, earned his stripes at the Super Level and got picked for the All Blacks, he's he almost comes across as, as the sort of guy that has the temperament to sort of play at that next level. But I just think that there are a whole lot of other factors that go into the performance of a 10. And considering the ball that the, the Hurricanes backline got which was pretty much all back football, I'm not sure that by chucking in a guy that, although he does have previous experience, but I don't think he's ever played the first five at, at the Super level or even at the Mitre 10 Cup level, that that's the way to go this early on. Who knows what Jason Holland's thinking is, and you know sometimes the radicalist change can, can reap the greatest benefits, but, but yeah, I, I think for me, I'd stick with Jackson. I'd give him an, at least another week, and if things turn to crap, you know, maybe then you've got to look at alternatives or you've got to turn back to Fletcher. But, but yeah, the, um, the, I mean, that position was always going to be huge um, shoes to fill for whoever came in because, you know, again, like you said, the Hurricanes revolve so much of their attack around him. And just the responsibility, I mean, there's already so much responsibility playing in that position, but then, you know, to then follow up the, a two-time World Player of the Year and arguably the best player in the world at the moment. I know that you have your own opinions about that. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I like your point. But yeah, I'm, for me, I'm not sure it's the way to go right now. But um, yeah, uh, one of the other points that I wanted to bring up was that the, the Crusaders are coming into this week off the bye from last weekend. So they would have watched all the action and done all their analysis and they're going to be fresh. And there is the possibility for Rust, but I don't think that's usually a again, a word that you associate with a team like the Crusaders, considering the success that they've had in Super Rugby. But the question I wanted to pose to you, do you think that the Crusaders will make a concerned effort to win the game up front? 
or do you think that the the game will be determined by the backs? Because for me personally, I think that the after what the Hurricanes sort of put out there last weekend, I think that the Crusaders forwards might be licking their lips, especially if they have someone like Sam, uh, someone like Sam Whitelock, back in the rotation. Hmm. I think if you look at their backline, it's pretty much an all-black backline. Mm-hmm. I've got a feeling that Moanga might just see, oh, we'll see what's in front of us, and he'll just play accordingly. Because I think they are, because they are such a complete team, and yes, they are a very, very dominant four-pack as well, but I think what they could actually do is maybe catch the Hurricanes on the hop a bit, because I think the Hurricanes are probably going to be expecting this huge attack up front. Yeah, well, that's what I'm expecting. But I wouldn't be surprised if Moanga just said, nah, we're going to go. And I think they have the ability to do that. So I think the Hurricanes might be a little bit foolish if they sort of think, oh, you know, they're just going to attack us up front. I think they need to be wary of the fact that they can actually attack them out wide as well just as easily and just as quickly. So I think a lot of it's going to come back to what Moanga sees in front of them. That's my take on it. Even just sort of thinking out loud, one of the things I want to throw in there, if you were a a super team and you had the choice of playing in that first round or sitting out and being able to sort of assess all the teams that were playing and seeing who the way that the team you were playing against in round two went in round one, do you think that this has sort of worked out quite well for the Crusaders? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Because what they would have got, the, I, the biggest thing would have been how the refs are ruling. And I think what they'll do is they'll sort of say, okay, this is what they're doing. And they would have picked up on actually what the teams that were playing were getting pinged for and how they're doing. Now. And I think they will go, right. We sort of, they've, they've, they've learned from it without actually having to be go through being penalised themselves mm-hmm. you know and, and the frustration that they, they've sort of learned from other teams frustrations so I think purely for the fact that the games have been ref differently they've seen how the refs are going to be ruling on it and I think that's going to play into their hands do you have that mindset purely because it's the Crusaders or would you apply that to any of the New Zealand teams or is it just because of the way the the Crusaders are run, that that's the case? I think the fact that, oh, it's both. I think it's the fact that the Crusaders are that good, but also they they have the luxury of just sort of seeing, because if they had played last week, they would have been just as frustrated as all the other teams. But what they're basically seeing is they've seen the other teams be frustrated by the, the rulings and so therefore it's like okay we can go in it's like anything so i'll give you an example if just say for example there's a you're, you're sitting in a class and everyone has to get up and do a presentation now the guys that do the presentations first anything they do well or anything that they don't do well the people that come after them they go say oh, okay I can do that, that's what worked, and I won't do that because that didn't work. So if you use that analogy, you actually learn off uh, other people's mistakes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking like for a team like the Highlanders, for example, that I guess maybe just that even that extra week of, you know, the teams 
you know, actually playing because it, nothing replicates playing. I mean, you can have all those in-house scrimmages and you can train the house down, but nothing replicates what you do in a, in a game like Scenario. And so, I don't know, I, I understand, and I and I had the exact same frame of mind in terms of, like, the Crusaders having that week to assess how all the teams played and how the referees ref, but I think maybe for other teams, maybe that's not so much the case because they sort of maybe needed to get the Ks under their belt to sort of get some sort of understanding of, you know, how teams are playing and um, how the games were going to be refed. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good chat with that, though. Um, and then my last point um, to round out the show is... One of the game, or one of the guys, sorry, that I singled out on the weekend who was MIA was uh, was Nani Lamapi. And the reason why I singled him out is because I know how good he can be. And the fact that the Hurricanes were really struggling for front foot ball, I would have thought that they would have looked to have got the ball in his hands a lot more. And so, like you said, with the Chiefs who lost on the weekend, and the same with the Hurricanes, but I guess for Nani um, especially is that he's probably going to be a little bit disparate and be looking to bounce back, considering uh, the amount of talent that we have in the midfield in New Zealand at the moment to sort of press his claim um, for an all-black spot should the all-blacks get together this year. So, But, I mean, that's not going to be easy for him this week because he's rolling into arguably the strongest midfield combination in the country in Jack Goodhue and Braden Enor. Just some quick stats run by with Laomar. He had 11 carries, uh, 38 run metres, and he, he did beat three defenders and he made two clean breaks, but... Um, none of them obviously stood out or led to any of the, the Hurricanes' points. So how do you think he goes into this weekend? Do you think that you will see a different Lao Marpi or a good Hugh and Enor just too good? I think he needs to play closer to the ruck. So one that'll get him more involved in the game. So he needs to... So I think what he needs to do is, is to be more involved and what they could potentially do. And again, this is going to depend on how the Crusaders defend. So, like, if they're playing Moanga in the front line, I think if the Hurricanes have got any brains, they'll just get Lomar to target him. Because even though Moanga can defend, he's not as pro his impact on defence wouldn't be as as Sol as probably, you know, maybe as a loose forward or a midfielder. But I think that would probably allow Laomapi to get over the advantage line, and so therefore the Hurricanes will get over the advantage line. So two things would happen there. One, he's closer to the action. He's getting his, his hands on the ball more often. And two, it could potentially use Moanga as a target, and I think that's what they need to do. But you've also got to take into consideration, this is what people don't realise, is that, Laomapi scores a lot of tries, but if you look at a lot of the tries he scores, half of them actually come from actually running off other people's breaks. Usually someone like uh, Bowden Barrett, for example. He doesn't have that luxury anymore. So for I'll, I'll, even though he scores a lot of tries, you know, by basically bowling over plays and stuff like that, half of his tries have actually been scored from supporting. And I think that sort of people don't understand is that even though he does make these, you know, these bullocking runs, He's also a very, very good support player. So because he hasn't really got that Bowden Barrett to run off to score a, a lot of his tries from backing up, he's probably not as effective as he used to be because there's no Bowden Barrett. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah. And that's that, that, that's something that people miss. No, it's something if you watch a lot of the tries he scores, they they come from backing up because he's deceptively quick, but also he, he he's got a good ball sense. And you know, people talk about guys like your Christian Cullens and your Carlos Spencers. The reason why these guys score a lot of tries is yeah, they've got a lot of natural footwork and speed and stuff like that. But half the time, a lot of their tries come from backing up because they just know basically where to position themselves to get the, that last pass. Laomapi's a lot like that as well. And that's sort of something I underestimated in his earlier days. But the more you watch him, it's just like, yep, he backs up really, really well. But people just remember, you know, when he when he bowls people over, which he does very, very well, but he also backs up very well. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I guess, like, first and foremost, his responsibility as a second five is obviously to, to help the Hurricanes get over the gain line. And that's the reason why I singled him out. I, I think he's an awesome player and he's... He's almost uh, a definite for the All Blacks 23, in my opinion, because I think he's the sort of guy that you can start at second five. And then you can also, he's probably the best midfielder or best weapon that we can sort of throw into the mix, you know, sort of 20 minutes to go in a game, just because of, like you said, he's definitely quick. I mean, we all see what he does with his body in terms of bowling goes over. And again, like you said, you touched on the support play, and that, that's the sort of stuff that's is really beneficial towards the back end of a game when, when guys make breaks and whatnot. So, But again, with all that being said, who are you tipping on Sunday afternoon? It's hard to go past the Crusaders, but then again, if the if sorry, if the Hurricanes can get Geordie back, uh, start with Sevilla, and whether he comes off the bench, although I'd rather have him starting, get Fafita on the field, I think that'll just add... You know, those X-Factor qualities that Sevilla have and Fafita have that basically weren't there in that first 40 to 50 minutes in the Ford pack. And I just think that uh, insurance policy at the back with Geordie Barrett, I think that that'll just... If they can have get those three guys on the field and if there's a... Big crowd, so you know, a good thirty thousand at the stadium. It's possible for the Hurricanes, but I can't see it. I mean, that that's the thing. If the, if the stars align, you know, they get a big crowd, they get the key players off on the field, and if the Crusaders are a little bit rusty, it's possible, but I can't see it, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm going to pick the Crusaders as well. I am picking them 12 and under. I don't. I think the the Canes will have a lot more pride this week playing at home. Um, and we might see uh, a bit of rust with the Crusaders. But I think unlike probably any other team in the competition, is like you said, because the Crusaders are so well-rounded, they have the ability to adapt within a game depending on what the opposition is throwing at them. So, you know, if their game plan is to try and catch the Hurricanes napping by playing at width and utilising their backs a lot more, if they're like, oh shit, the Hurricanes are sort of clued on and we can't go that route, they can then, you know, okay, nah, we're going to stick it right in close to the ruck and we're going to beat these guys up front. Or, you know, we'll go to the set piece, we'll kick a line out, five out, and, you know, we'll just be disciplined on the fence. And that's the the problem when you play the Crusaders is that there's you think you have them beat by playing a certain way, but they have the ability to flip the script mid-game and yeah, like you, you almost have to be sort of innovative when you're playing the Crusaders or really sort of pile on the points, you know, when you sort of hit that purple patch in the game to make it so that it's almost like insurmountable for the Crusaders to catch you. So 
yeah, I'm, I'm picking the Crusaders to go 12 and under, but yeah, I, I do think it'll be another good game. So yeah, hopefully we have two cranker games this weekend. I mean, it's, it's cool though, right? Because the, the Chiefs are going to be playing at home, like you said, and going to be looking to win. So they're going to come out firing and it's going to be the exact same for the Hurricanes. And then you've got a Crusaders team coming out to try and get their first one of the season. Then you've got another Blues team looking to back it up. So I think all four teams have something to play for this weekend. And hopefully that's yep. what takes place on the field. I, I think the best thing that could happen to the competition, purely for, I guess, the competition itself, is for the Hurricanes and the Chiefs to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then you had, the, you had the two teams that lost last week, they won this week. And that would actually be a really good representation of the depth in New Zealand rugby because you don't sort of really want one or two teams running away with it and the other and the other three teams are just like, you know, just glorified, I guess, training runs, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's I, I actually think it's possible for the Chiefs and the Hurricanes to win this weekend. More likely I think you're more likely to see the Chiefs knock over the Blues, I think, than the Hurricanes knocking over the Crusaders. But Trying to be impartial, trying to be impartial. Yeah, totally. And that's as, as much as I sort of brought up the point about the, the Hurricanes maybe being a little undersized and maybe not having the grunt up front. I mean, like, they've, they've shown with bounce-back games when, you know, I've sort of ridden off their forwards and, you know, maybe it's just a matter of sort of, you know, rolling out of bed the right way in the morning and sort of carrying over, I guess, the, the good habits they have in training into the game. And, yeah, like you said, I think... It'll bode well for the competition if we see every single team get a win on the board. And then even from there, you know, it'll just make the games more exciting. I mean, like the games have been pretty exciting because, you know, every team gets up for a New Zealand derby and we've we've seen awesome turnouts. But, uh, yeah, like the last thing that I guess I think anyone would want is to see what we saw with the Highlanders before lockdown, though. But, um. Awesome to have you on the show, old fella. Um, I appreciate you jumping on, and I look forward to catching up with you on Sunday night to wrap that all up. So just to recap on all that, you've gone with the Chiefs to win 12 and under on Saturday and the Crusaders to win 12 and under on Sunday. Is that correct? All right. Kate the up. And I've tipped the Blues to go 12 and under on Saturday and followed suit with the Crusaders to go 12 and under on Sunday. But I'm Actually, sort of like crossing my fingers behind my back and hoping that the Hurricanes win. Probably similar to you, so. No, yeah. you're thinking. You're thinking with your heart, not your head, son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a few mates in their team as well. They probably would have liked me sort of bagging the Canes right now. So I sort of got to Ex- keep my bridges yeah. unburnt. Actually, just I'm just going to throw something out there just while I'm in the mood. I don't know what you thought from last week's game, and I know the game was pretty much over with about twenty to go. But I actually like the impact of that Jamie Booth when he comes off the bench. Mm. He's got a bit of energy to him. And I thought Peronara looked okay at first five. I don't know what you thought. But I actually thought he added a bit of spark. And I know games break up usually in that last 20 and, and the Hurricanes were down by about 15 or 20 odd, you know, with about 15 to 20 to go. But yeah, I I was actually quite impressed with uh, Peronara at uh, first five was cameo or was about 20 minutes. I yeah. don't know what you thought. Now, Booth, obviously, he's back in the crew. Sorry, he's back in the Hurricanes this year. 
after being in Japan the last year, but in the previous year to that, he was in the Hurricanes. And I know that he had a really awesome Mitre 10 Cup at the back end of last year, and he has actually been a difference maker in both the losses and the wins of the Hurricanes. I remember he scored mm. that try over in Argentina. Which yeah, yeah, very much so. And even in the Sharks game when the Hurricanes... No, it was, I think no, it was the Stormers game when the Hurricanes lost in that first game. He was actually one of the the lone sort of shining lights um, yeah, towards yeah, the back yeah, end yeah, of the yeah, game. Yeah. And, and, and no, he, he does, he just has that little bit of go on him, eh? Like, very sort of similar to Piranari. You know, he sort of backs himself on mm. the run and he, he, clears the, he clears the ball pretty well. But mm. yeah, yeah, maybe that's a, another thing that Jason Holland could be thinking about, sort of pushing TJ out to 10. And... Yeah, no, I, I was really surprised, to be honest. I thought, oh, well, he actually looks pretty good at 10. I think he played 10, like, you know, when he was at school and stuff like that. And he does kick goals, too, because that's another thing you've got to worry about. So you got to worry about your yeah, goal. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's if, exactly if, what I was going to say. If, if, if Barrett's not playing, then you pretty much got to play guard and bash it because I don't know how reliable Peranata's goal kicking is. So that, that's always something you've got to take into consideration. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Chase Tietier kicks goals as well. <laughs> you know, on, well, there on, you on go. The subject to Chase. So there you go. There, there you go. Well, so that that's my that's my plug for the week. <laughs> start 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 with Tietier at ten, and then finish with Pernod at ten. With Jamie Booth coming off the bench. There you go. Hey, anything can happen. But yeah, I'm 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 crossing my fingers that that Jackson, I guess, makes a jump this week because. I don't know. You, you never like to see anyone sort of drop out of form, particularly a guy that you know. So, yeah. Let's hope, I guess, even though I've tipped the Crusaders, let's hope that Jackson plays really, really well, but he gets a little bit of maybe calf tightness around that sort of 65-minute mark. Um, you know, or, And Tia well, Tia goes, goes into 10. And Tia Tia plays well. <laughs> Tia Tia goes into 10. Who knows? No, actually, Jackson, I want you to finish the 80. I want you to kick all your goals, and I want you to score a try as well. And um, I want the Hurricanes to win, even though I am tipping the Crusaders. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think this is sort of a sign for me to wrap this all up. But, yeah, anyway, Dad, appreciate having you on, and I will catch up with you on Sunday night. All right, then. Hey, Dewa. Love you. Bye.